0: Welcome to the Two Journeys Podcast. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to join us today and want you to know that this is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 11 in our Peter podcast and our first episode in the book of 2 Peter. This episode is entitled, Making Your Calling and Election Sure where we'll discuss 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm Wes Treadway and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today?
1: What a marvelous section of scripture we're gonna look at today. And uh, you know, as Wes, as you just said, we're gonna talk about making your calling and election sure. This has to do with assurance of salvation. It has to do with sanctification. It has to do with progressive growth in holiness seeing certain virtues growing in us Mm. by the ministry of the word and so we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how important it is for us as christians to be growing in the grace and knowledge of christ as he says at the end of this epistle beautifully so we'll talk about that today
0: very good well let me read 2nd peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 simeon peter a servant and apostle of jesus christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Andy, who's Peter writing to in Second Peter? And how would you connect the righteousness of God to our receiving faith as a gift.
1: Well, in First Peter, we've l- learned and and we know that he's writing to the aliens, the exiles who are living in various places uh, throughout the ancient Near East. Uh, he doesn't address them here in the second epistle, we could assume it's the same group of people. But he he calls them something different, he he calls them those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior have received, one translation says, a faith as precious as ours or a like precious faith, faith the same as ours, etc. So he's writing to other Christians.
0: Now what does Peter mean when he says that his readers have received a faith of equal standing with ours, and how would that have been encouraging for them to hear?
1: So, this faith that that they ever see, there's just different ways of looking at it, but it could be just saving faith, the gift of faith, of being Christians. I think that's where I would start. Um, He doesn't use the uh, the definite article, the faith, which generally I read as doctrine, a pattern of doctrine, a Christian doctrine. Mm. But you could say it's, it's one or the other, or maybe a combination. There's a sense in which the faith of Christianity, of the doctrines that make up Christianity, Uh, and faith in Christ, either one of them could be in his mind. I would tend to lean toward the fact that their faith in Christ is every bit as valid as Peter's was. There's no gradations. You either have it or you don't. You're either in or you're out. You're either spiritually alive or you're spiritually dead, Mm. one or the other. And so the sense is that we have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light and we're as qualified as this other person is by faith.
0: So what then does Peter mean in verse 2 when he says grace and peace be multiplied to you and how does the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord relate to this?
1: Yeah, all of the epistles in the New Testament seems I always say grace to you at the Mm -hmm. beginning, and and then at the end they say slightly differently. Grace be with you. So I've looked on it like there's this kind of corridor of grace, Mm or maybe this isn't so great, but like a car wash of grace. So you kind of your car (laughs) rolls in and then it rolls out, and and so the the epistle itself is an experience of grace. And so what does it mean? Well, grace I define it this way as a settled determination in the mind of God to do us eternal. Blessing who deserve eternal cursing. Uh, That's one way to look at grace. And so it is a determination in the heart of God to bless us. And the blessings could be massive, like forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future, or it could be smaller, like just the grace of a little bit of energy to get some things done, et cetera. Mm. All of it is grace. So when it says grace be multiplied to yours, uh, grace be multiplied. And, and to you in abundance. The idea here is that there's all different kinds of good things God does in our, our souls primarily, but also in our bodies uh, by his kindness to us in Christ. Peter's wishing that those things would be multiplied. Now he's gonna give us in a minute this virtue list, list of virtues mm-hmm. similar to the fruit of the spirit. Each one of those we could call a grace. Altogether we would say they are graces, the graces of Christianity. Um, but each one of them is, is an energetic activity uh, by God through the Holy Spirit worked in us. So grace uh, be multiplied. And then peace. Um, peace with God, a standing of peace with God, like life or death, is binary. You either have it or you don't. Either God's at peace with you or he's at war with you, one or the other. Mm. But then there's the peace of God, which is more qualitative, a sense of peacefulness, a sense of tranquility, Uh, that comes from our faith in Christ, like having a a heart at peace in the midst of, let's say, a storm, like Paul in Acts 27, when the boat's about to sink and everyone's terrified of drowning and Paul just isn't. And that's peacefulness. So that's where you have a a kind of a quantity of peace Mm. that just gets broader and bigger. May that experience of peace, the peace of God in Christ Jesus, be multiplied to you in abundance. Mm.
0: Now, in verse 3... We have one of the few significant statements in this passage. There are a lot of uh, significant moments here. Verse 3 says uh, that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life in godliness. Why is that a significant statement from Peter?
1: Wow, very, very powerful. Um, All things that pertain to is is, uh, one translation. Another is everything needful for or Mm. necessary to. So that one seems a little clearer, maybe a little easier to understand. Um, so let's take that, that God has given, His divine power has given us, Christians, everything necessary for life and godliness. Mm. For me, as I meditate on on this verse, I think of them as uh, the stages of salvation. So life being being alive as opposed to dead, and I link that to justification, So and regeneration at the moment of being born again, you now have life. Everything needed for your spiritual life has been given you through His divine power. It is a work of divine power to be Mm -hmm. born again. It's true. Like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're born uh, by the Spirit. And so the Spirit exerts power on our souls and we come to faith in Christ. Everything that we need for that to have happened has been given to us by His divine power, mm-hmm. and then there's godliness. Godliness, a synonym would be would be uh, Christlikeness, conformity to Christ, sanctification, holiness, maybe. Everything we need for both spiritual life, including forgiveness of sins, that's once for all time, and then for holiness or godliness has been granted to us by His divine power. So on sanctification a growth in holiness, that also is a work of divine power. And beautifully, we have everything we need for it. There's nothing lacking. Hmm. And we're gonna talk about how He's given that, but it's gonna end up being the Word and the Spirit. By, by the Word and by the Spirit, everything you need to be everything you're supposed to be in the Christian life has been granted to you by His divine power.
0: Hmm. What do you think it means that God has called us to His own glory? and excellence.
1: Okay, that I think could we could say is the destination of sanctification. It's the destination of salvation. That when we are done being saved, when all of God's saving work in us uh, is finished, we will be glorious like Him. We will, ha- we will shine like the sun. And that glory will be His glory. We'll be shining with God's glory in Christ. That's why we will be so bright and shining, So he's called us to his glory. Uh, he's called us also, we could say to some degree, by his own glory or for the sake of his glory. So in other words, that God might be manifest. The, the glory of God is the manifestation or the display of his perfections. And so he's going to be glorious by saving us. He's going to put himself on display by saving wretches like us. And then we, when we shine, are gonna be putting Him on display because we're shining with the light of Christ. Uh, and so He's uh, called us uh, through or by His own glory and His goodness or His virtue. Um, these are the attributes we're about to talk about. We're going to be conformed to Him in detail. So we will be made virtuous or good like Him, conformed to Christ. Yeah.
0: Now since verse four mentions God's precious and very great promises, How might verse three also be a strong verse supporting the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, so again, this whole idea is that God's given us everything we need, and how is he ministering everything we need? Now we get to this idea of his very great and precious promises, and the promises just different ways of talking about the written word of God. Um, and, And really, to some degree, everything in Scripture, for us as Christians, everything in Scripture is promise because it has to do with a final work of salvation that will be consummated in the future age. And so the idea is even the commands of God, you must or you must not, these are promises. Because if we must, we will eventually, ultimately. When we're perfected, we will. We will love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We will love our neighbors, ourselves. So all of the subordinate commands, like husbands, love your wives, uh, be faithful in prayer, um, you know, be, be patient in affliction. All of these things are, are being worked in us. So even the commands are promises. So these, are, these promises are the word of God, mm. uh, even in a historical account. To some degree, it's not categorically a promise, but you're reading it and it has an effect on you, and it moves toward your final salvation. Mm. So very great and precious promises, but let's just keep it simple. There are some things that everyone who knows what the word promise means call promises. Like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hmm. I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Um, That uh, everyone who who believes in the Son has eternal life and will not be condemned. We're promised that we will not be condemned, but we've crossed over from death to life. I could go on and on, so many. These are promises, but then what does he say about them? They're very great and precious. Hmm. These are not small things that are being promised to us. They are massive of eternal consequence, wow. very great, and they are precious. They are more valuable to us than anything. Yeah.
0: Now, one thing that he also says in verse four, that we will be partakers of the divine nature. Mm-hmm. How do God's promises enable us to be that, partakers of the divine nature? Yeah. And maybe help us understand what this phrase mm-hmm. phrase does mean, yeah. and maybe what it does not mean.
1: Yeah, it's a very good thing that you asked that because, um, there are just some faulty understandings of salvation. Uh, there are cults, clearly the Mormons, uh, in which you basically become your own gods and goddesses. Mm. You get to populate your own planet with your own spirit babies, with your spiritual spouse. Uh, it's, it's That's Mormon theology, it's weird. And uh, they teach about Jesus, what he is we may become, what he Uh, what we are he once was. That's something called divinization or deification, that we become Hmm. gods and goddesses. That's not what we're talking about here. Instead, we see a a beautiful consistency across the entire scripture on this issue. We were originally created in the image of God. We are created unique and special. That phrase isn't used of any of the rest of God's physical creation, not of rivers or rocks or mountains or eagles or, or chimpanzees or any of that. But human beings were created in the image of God. That image of God was marred severely by our fall into sin. We have been uh, regenerated and, and even now transcend how Adam and Eve pre-fall, the innocent Adam and Eve, Uh, display the glory of God. Hmm. So Ephesians says that we are created in our new nature to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Or again in Romans chapter eight, it says that those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that conforming of us to Christ is glorification. That's the end of our salvation. So in that sense, we will participate in the divine nature. We will become like God. We will be partakers in the divine nature. We will never have the the attributes, the incommunicable attributes, as theologians. We will not be self-existent. We will not be our own creators, okay? We will not be omnipresent, omniscient, or omnipotent. None of the omnis will ever be ours. Okay, we will not uh, we will not sit at the highest place of creation and rule over all things. We mm-hmm. will not be God, but we will be like God, mm-hmm. and that's the essence of our salvation. We will participate in the divine nature.
0: Now, how do those promises? How do God's promises enable us to escape the corruption that's mm-hmm. in the world because of? Sinful desires, and what's maybe the connection between that Mm -hmm. and where we're headed? Right, we're about to talk about these attributes from verse five. What's the connection here?
1: All right, let's let's take uh, you know, I said earlier, all all of God's commands are promises for Hmm. Christians. Let me take you, give you a very clear example. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, at the end of the section there where he talks about loving your enemies, um, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you only love your brothers, what are you doing more than others? If you love those who love you, everybody. And then after all that, he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That means absolutely free from all moral corruption. You must be pure. Now, I believe that if you look at it this way, that all of his commands are going to be fulfilled in us mm. by his saving work in us. We're not going to go lawless to heaven. We will fulfill all of God's laws, ultimately, in our in our glorification. That means someday we'll be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect in the way that Jesus meant. Mm. So his, his promises, his very great and precious promises, first of all, first and foremost, if you read them properly, fill you with an ineffable hope you will someday be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So, therefore, then you read it in the more normal sense. Therefore, today, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Love your enemies. Mm. Pray for those who pursue you, et cetera. So, it's like, well, no one's perfect. It's true, we're not, but we are perfection is set before us every day. That's mm-hmm. sanctification. So, every day of our lives, we strive for perfection based on the very great and precious promises of God. Someday, Lord, I know I'm gonna be perfect. Help me to be perfect today. Help me to be morally pure, free from all corruption. Help me, First John, help me to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help me to be free from all darkness because God is light and in him there is no darkness. Therefore, let me be light and in me no darkness. Mm. You see how that works. So there's someday it'll be true. Right now, it's not really true because we have indwelling sin, but that it would be more and more truth. So the two come together. His very great and precious promises have a sanctifying effect on us.
0: And I think that's key right so let's begin to look at this list in verse five but before we get to the list uh, what is the significance of the words make every effort to supplement your faith right this i think this is what we're talking about with sanctification and justification what what do we learn here about the difference between justification and sanctification and what role does effort play it's vital
1: all right, so effort is work, it's energy. You have, to, you have to go do it, you have to do works. You have to be energetic, all right? That's what make every effort means to me, all right? We have to learn the stages of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, the role that our effort plays. We are taught plainly mm. in Romans, in Galatians, that justification is by faith apart from works. Okay. So what that means is it is not by works, Ephesians 2 says, so that no one can boast that we are justified. We are not forgiven of our sins by the efforts or the labors of our hands. Not the labors of our hands can fulfill your law's demands. We, we cannot pay for our past transgressions Think of it this way, you don't pay for past transgressions of God's law by present or future obedience to God's law. Mm. I mean, you like, were supposed to. <laughs> present, present, <laughs> present obedience is... Is obedience, ob- yeah, there it's, you go, it's, it's current there's obedience. There's no you're... merit in it, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's what you should have been doing. <laughs> hmm. So there's no way you can you can cover yesterday's sins hmm. by today obeying and saying you won't do it anymore. So past transgressions, and frankly, any transgressions you commit today or in the future, are all of them covered by the grace of God through the shed blood of Christ. And we tap into that, we become partakers or benefit of it by faith apart from works. The thief on the cross did no works, and he was forgiven of all of his sins. However, when we come to sanctification, the the rules of the game change significantly. There is a part in which sanctification is done directly to us by God's grace through His Spirit, uh, energetically, by our faith in Him. But we also have our own work to do. And the combination of this we see in Philippians chapter 2, it says um, there, uh, So, my dear brothers, as you've always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue uh, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. So that's how it all comes together. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in us energetically. So. In the same way that we began by faith in Christ, trusting in Him, not relying on our own unaided works, by that faith, we make progress in sanctification. Mm. Um, We see the the cooperation then, God is working energetically in us, we also have to work energetically as well. Um, We also see it in uh, Romans 8.13 where it says, if you uh, live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. So you look at that and it's like, all right, what does it mean for me to put my sins, the sins of the flesh, to death by the Spirit? That's that cooperation. So I work and the Spirit works. But we know it's always the other way around. The Spirit works, therefore I work. Mm. So we are led by the Spirit. He's leading, we follow. We've got work to do. Now, another key verse is Hebrews 12, 14, where it says, make every effort, same thing, same language, to live at peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So if you take the the live at peace with all men out for just a second, keep it it simple in this way. Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think the simplest way to understand it is go to heaven when you die. Hmm. See God face to face in heaven, in glory. All right, so let's keep that language simple. Make every effort to be holy. Without a holiness you must make an effort for, you're not going to heaven.
0: Hmm.
1: Wow. Now that's pretty powerful, isn't it? So there is a holiness we have to make an effort for. However, that holiness will be imperfect. Hmm. We will fail. And thank God we don't stand on that holiness on Judgment Day, because the third stage of salvation is glorification, and there'll be no make every effort there. Make every effort to raise your dead body out of the grave, whatever. <laughs> <Good luck. laughs> hey, what <laughs> right, are you going to do? Uh, no. <laughs> no chance. Make every effort to transform your soul from its mixed state of sometimes obeying, sometimes disobeying, to pure as the light. You can't do that. Mm. Glorification, has there's no effort involved. Mm. It will be done to you. The only effort in salvation comes in the middle stage, sanctification.
0: So right now in our sanctification is where yes. effort plays. And that's what
1: this is written about. That's Our right. sanctification, that's make right. every effort.
0: So verses 5 through 7 give us this list of things that we are to supplement our faith with. What do you make of the sequence faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love? Is there a discernible order to these? And maybe how do they relate to the fruit of the Spirit that you mentioned a while ago that we find in Galatians 5?
1: I really have not found uh, any kind of discernible order here. Um, I think it's kind of all over the map. Um, I think faith dubs come first. Uh, the reason, though, I say it's all over the map is, um, you know, you look at um, virtue or goodness. I don't actually even know exactly what that is hmm. um, and how that would be different from godliness. Um, how you make a distinction between goodness and godliness, hmm. I, I just don't think that that drawing precise divisions between these things is helpful, or even even less helpful, a sequence. And and the reason I, I don't think of the sequence here is because when I wrote my book on sanctification, I had a very clear sequence that I presented in that book of knowledge, faith, character, and action. I do believe they always go in that order. So knowledge precedes faith, because you can't believe something you didn't know. Yeah. Knowledge plus faith transforms character it's that it, that's what makes us love that's what makes us virtuous etc out of a transformed character we do our actions actions always flow from character make a tree good and its fruit will be good make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad a tree is known by its fruit so there is an order uh to that so i looked at this list when i was writing that book and tried to find an order here and i came up empty hmm. other than that faith was first started with faith. So I think at this point it's similar to the fruit of the Spirit. I don't think that as we read the list of the fruit of the Spirit that we try to find an order there either. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I don't think you really could make an argument for why why you know joy precedes peace or whatever. They're just virtues that mm-hmm. we look for in the Christian life.
0: Now, continuing then into verse 8, why does our level of these virtues have to be Increasing consistently and how does consistent growth in these keep us from being unfruitful in the Christian life?
1: Yeah, I I, I want to answer that. I do want to say there is value in taking each of these listed virtues independently, not trying to find a sequence, but just what does it mean? Hmm. And then presenting it to the Lord in prayer, saying, Lord, I want to grow in choose one. Hmm. So, um, you know, for example, I want to grow in self-control. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit as well. So there's value in taking just one of those virtues and saying, "I, I know I'm responsible for all of them. But I really do want to grow in self-control. And so, Lord, would you work that in me? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just wanted to say that. And I think you should do the same thing with the fruit of the Spirit. I want to to be a more joyful person. Would you just make me a more evidently joyful man? So these virtues, these character traits are beneficial. I'm sorry, what was your question? No,
0: I think that's great. And it really does help to begin to unfold Mm -hmm. exactly what we're talking about in verse 8. So Mm -hmm. the question is, why does our level of these virtues need to be increasing? And how does consistent growth keep us from being unfruitful? Some of that, I think, is what you were just saying sure. the combination of effort and dependence right, right. we're working uh, to supplement our faith but also acknowledging lord i need your help to be right. doing these things but uh how else why must they be increasing and how do they keep us from being unfruitful
1: right well if they're if they're not increasing they're decreasing obviously yeah. you know you say well they could stay the same it's like well, i guess if you've got that careful a measuring device on your <laughs> on your you know your your uh, self-control it's like i'm exactly as self-controlled now as i was a year ago it's like well I don't know that, how you'd measure that. Mm. But let's say more macro, big picture. You probably know if you are, you are leading a much more disciplined life mm. a year ago than you are now. I think about COVID. I bet you a lot of people are less disciplined with electronic entertainment now than they were a year ago because they spent a lot of time on it. And so, you know, most likely I can say very simply, you're either growing or you're receding. You're not staying the same. And so we've got to have a goal that a year from now will be more of all of these things than we are now. All of them, not just one. And so we have to see these qualities increasing because if they're increasing, then we're growing. And it really has to do with growth. So you think about, you know, uh, um, let's say a, a fruit tree, like an apple tree. Um, the, the apple itself just makes progress from the bud to you know, growing larger and larger like a balloon until it, then it gets that beautiful apple color and it's time for the harvest. And so there's that progress going on. If it's not progressing from, let's say, from May to June, something's wrong. There's definitely something wrong with the mm. tree. There's a disease, some blight has come in. What do I know about apple growth? But I mean, <laughs> you know, there's definitely progress. Sure. I mean definitely would see that with, let's say, a child that, that isn't growing. Something's wrong. And so we definitely need to see these qualities increasing in ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, what does Peter say is true of someone who does not possess these virtues in increasing measure? And do you think Peter's talking about a Christian Mm -hmm. in verse 9?
1: Yeah, well in verse 8 uh, he says if they are growing they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus so con- turn it around to fit in your question if these things aren't growing in you you're going to be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge mm-hmm. ineffective means you don't make much of a difference uh, you're not doing anything for the kingdom you know Jesus said whoever does not gather with me scatters mm-hmm. so you're basically scattering you're un- ineffective and unproductive you're, you're actually harming the Mm. kingdom, if you're not growing. And then uh, in verse uh, 9, he negates it, but he says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So I think what that means is um, this individual doesn't really seem to have clear spiritual perception. He doesn't understand that Jesus is saving us from our sins. Mm. He doesn't have a clear picture. So here I want to address you know you're kind of your bible belt or your church goer or you somebody who prayed the prayer and kind of attends church but is really plateaued And and they really just don't do much growing. They're the same all the time. You know, they're not making, they're not developing. They actually don't really seem to understand what salvation is. Salvation is from sin, that we will be saved from sin. And these individuals have forgotten that. They've forgotten that they've been cleansed from past sins so that they should now be doing everything they can to fight new manifestations of those past Mm. sins. And the only way they're going to fight new manifestations is by growing in these virtues. So it's, it's, it's all or nothing, really. We are growing vigorously in these marvelous Christian virtues, or we are a problem. We are causing trouble in the kingdom. We are ineffective, unproductive, nearsighted, blind, and forgetful. It seems pretty dire. So yeah. the idea is grow. So what I, I would do is I'd look at this list and say, Lord, I wanna grow in all of these. It's not, I'm not choosing, I want them all. Please develop this in me please make me more and more conform to Christ as I grow. That's mm. that
0: passion for growth. Mm-hmm. Now in verse 10, this is another one of these big statements Peter makes in these opening 11 verses. What does Peter mean by confirm your calling and election? Mm-hmm. And how would consistent growth in the Christian life ensure that we will never fail?
1: Right. Well, the calling is an invisible calling. Uh, there, is a, there is a physical calling, um, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. The physical calling is the call of the gospel. Uh, that an evangelist, a, a preacher like myself, will give the facts of God, man, Christ's response and your eardrums vibrate with that call. That's a call, but that's not what Paul, uh, Peter means here. Uh, it's essential, but that's not what he's talking about. So the outward, audible, physical call of the gospel needs to be corresponding to an internal calling of the Spirit, Mm. such as out of darkness into light or out of death into life. So that's uh, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and those whom he predestined, he also called. So there's that internal calling by the Spirit from death to life. Mm. And then election is the choosing of God from before the foundation of the world of some people by name, before they are even born or had done anything good or bad, by name, that they would finally, in the end, be conformed to Christ forever in heaven. That's election before the foundation of the world for the full salvation package. Well, neither the invisible spiritual calling I just mentioned or election are physical, visible things. How can I know Mm. that they happened in my life? I have to make my calling of the spirit type and my election before the foundation of the world, before God said, let there be light. I have to make these things sure by my sanctification. Mm. Sure, I prayed, Jesus forgive me my sins, but did it? was it followed by growth and holiness? Mm. Was it followed by life mm. and fruit? And if not, I don't think you can know that you were called and elected. So you, you need to make your calling and election sure by your sanctification, by your growth and holiness.
0: Now, verse 11 closes the passage we're looking at today by saying, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hmm. What other rewards come from this kind of growth to maturity? And what is the richly provided entrance into the eternal kingdom that Peter refers to here?
1: Yeah, um, another translation says a rich welcome. Hmm. Um here you get into are there like not so great welcomes you know uh, is there like yeah we know you come on in yes you're saved but you didn't do much mm-hmm. um, so you could go either way it could be just he's speaking binary that you'll go to heaven when you die and there's just a richness of just being welcomed into I don't think any anybody's going to um, you know feel in any any sense regretful about their condition or situation when they enter into glory. However, Judgment Day itself uh, involves testing by fire of our works into the categories of gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. And if any of our works are burned up, up, it says that we will suffer loss. Mm -hmm. So on the other hand, uh, the rewards provide us the rich welcome of well done, good and faithful servant delight to see you so fundamentally here if you make your calling election sure and if you do these things the dynamic adding to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge knowledge self-control if you do all that you live the robust energetic christian life and you are not ineffective therefore you are effective and you're not unfruitful therefore you are fruitful there's a harvest you're going to have a rich well-done welcome into heaven Mm. i think that's what peter's saying
0: that's so good. Any final thoughts on these first 11 verses uh, as we begin Second Peter?
1: Oh, just do it, dear friend. <laughs> just do it. Uh, you know, make every effort, take it, make mm. your calling election sure. Do what Peter tells you to do in these
0: verses. Amen. Well, this has been episode 11 in our Peter Bible Study Podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time for episode 12, entitled The Absolutely Certain Word of Scripture, where we'll continue in Second Peter discussing Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
1: Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification